oh, what did my parents give me? Oh, they gave me happy childhood as well. Right, I would like to try and do that for other children. And it's not just children who are in trauma or chaos. You know, by fine-tuning your parenting, and this is not finger-pointing or judging, but, you know, you don't realise half the time. We don't do it consciously. We go on marketing to management courses and we never go on a parenting course. And yet it's one of the most important jobs you'll ever do in your entire life. So this is not about saying, oh, you're a rubbish parent. You need to go on a course. This is, do you want to be the best you can be? That was Sue Atkins, the parenting coach. And this is the Travelling Optimist podcast with Steve Odie. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Uh, A huge welcome to our new listeners as well. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Back in March, I didn't really think about the impact the show would have. And I'm so humbled by the feedback I receive. I want to thank everyone so much for listening. And uh, don't forget to hit subscribe or leave a review or share the pod to your network too. Um, The world's still crazy right now, but I really hope that everyone is feeling okay. Uh, And you continue to blaze a trail in all that you do. Uh, I realize that that could be difficult right now, but blazing a trail might just be saying an extra I love you to your partner or children or doing something for yourself like learning a new skill. Whatever it is, doing something positive will cause the ripple that can change everything for the better. So I'm sending positive vibes out to you and wish everyone a great few weeks ahead. So, all right, let's get on with the show. And hello, everyone. And we're back with another edition of the Travelling Optimist podcast with my guest, the number one parenting coach on the planet, Sue Atkins. Now, apart from appearing on ITV, Sky, Channel 5, Talk Radio, BBC Radio 2 and 4, Sue is also the parenting expert for Disney Junior UK and Disney Family. On top of all of that, she's the author of the best-selling books, Parenting for Dummies and Parenting Made Easy, How to Raise Happy Children. She's also a qualified life coach, NLP master practitioner and trainer, an emotional freedom technique practitioner, and has also trained alongside the world-famous peak performance coach, Tony Robbins. But my favourite endorsement of our guest today is that she's described as the 21st century Mary Poppins. So I'm really thrilled and delighted to welcome Sue Atkins to the show. Welcome, Sue. Oh, thank you. What a big intro. Thank you so much. I love your concept of blazing a trail. That just is wonderful. So thank you very much for inviting me on. Oh, no, I'm so excited. Um, and, and so thank you for coming on. And I've We've had a bit of a, a chat before the sh- before recording and everything, but so what, what? What's 2020 brought for you? Oh goodness, 2020 has really actually made me stop, pause to ponder, and perhaps reassess how driven I was. And this, I still am driven to make a big difference in the world, um, but I'm not sort of in that sense beating myself up about not succeeding or selling thousands of this book every day or something that I used to have all these very high expectations of myself and what I wanted to achieve in the world. Um, So it's made me stop. It's made me pause to ponder. I mean, I do that anyway. I meditate and I walk the dogs and I ponder and think about life and all that. But I've changed uh, what's driving me. But I still have the passion to want to serve and help families, particularly now through this enormously challenging period of the pandemic and beyond. And also now, as as we're very topical here, we're going kind of into lockdown too. And it's ch- more challenging, I was saying to you off air, more challenging personally for me in this changing season, because I'm a very sunshiny based person. I like being outside. I like the sunshine. And I find that um, the winter months, although they bring log fires and, you know, lovely things like that, 
they're harder to cope with with the dark uh, days going dark about 4.30 or something. So, yeah. So there we are. That's me and how I've coped. So you've been reflecting. You've, you've had some uh, some time to uh, reevaluate almost. Um, do you think that yeah. this sort of coronavirus is what sort of effect is it going to have on the on, on the children that you 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 see every week? It's so difficult to say, isn't it? Because if you read the papers all the time and watch the media, you think the world is absolutely collapsing um, in every area. Um, so I try and forge that middle ground, always trying to find out what is the sort of the truth about that. I, I'm glad in many ways that the children are back at school for consistency, for routine, for friendships. There's a lot of people worried about children's mental health and well-being. And I had a lot of inquiries on my Don't Stew Ask Sue um, podcast around social skills for little ones like toddlers and early years. Uh, was that going to be damaged? But I think you have to take the bigger picture and the long term view. Then there was this talk uh, I saw in the Guardian around, you know, are we saving up a mental health crisis because students are at university locked down and anxious? I think it's how you've brought your kids up to handle uh, adversity, uncertainty and change. And children take their lead from you. So I write a great deal, record, broadcast uh, on my Facebook groups or, or, or where, you know, all the social platforms around mindset now at the moment and how to handle worry, how to handle uncertainty and what to say to your children. Because I think it's very important that you model and you're very authentic, got to be authentic or they won't believe you. But, you know, you're genuinely kind of modelling bending not breaking through these difficult times yeah i love that because you do it's almost you do have to be flexible don't you otherwise you'll end up going down a route that's you know not very terribly positive yes and it's very easy to do that because negativity always captures people's uh, attention whether it's on twitter or whether it's just generally on any social media it's easy to go down that route you notice it more and this is not about being pollyanna and happy clappy and falsely silly about positive mindset my, my feed recently on twitter and on my facebook group and stuff is around you have a choice it's not easy necessarily, but if you have an attitude of gratitude, in my Can Do Kids journal, Discover Your Confidence Superpower, I use all these techniques that I learned over the years through NLP and all the rest of it and put them into, nobody needs to know the techniques, what they're called, but the idea that if you have an attitude of gratitude, if you look for what you're grateful for and you start that habit and it can start very small and then you start to feel better. So it's a, it makes sense to choose to look for the good rather than always look for someone to blame and stay stuck as a victim. And I think it's very important that, you know, when I do my uh, Can Do Kids confidence workshops and stuff, or I used to, I have a thing where you brush your teeth in the morning, you look in the mirror and you say, I am special because, because I want to build children's self-esteem. This is not, again, an arrogance. This is looking, getting kids to think about what they're good at, if they're kind, if they're good with friends, if they're good at drawing, if they're, you know, happy, uh, if they do as they're told. I don't know, whatever they feel that they're good at, whether it's art or science. And then in the evening when they brush their teeth, they look in the mirror and they think about one thing that they're grateful for in their lives. And you, the first time you do it and the first few times you do the obvious. And the more you do it, the more you train your brain almost to get used to thinking more positively and being more grateful. And when you feel grateful, you feel better. So those two things really do transform a mindset. So Kids can do it because I'm keen to help that next generation, but also parents can do it. And then if you do it together, then you've got some form of resilience building up within you and within your family. 
Mm. Yeah, no, resilience is a great word, actually. And it's very apt, isn't it? Because you do need to have some sort of resilience to to kind of get through all of this. And that's a very positive word as well. Yes. And um, it doesn't mean that you don't find things challenging. It's that idea that you fall down six times, but you get up the seventh time and have another go at something. And that is really what it is all about. For me at this time, you can't have a certain certainty about certain things. That sounds ridiculous. But you can't have that because we don't know. People keep asking me all the time now, what can you write about Christmas and how will Christmas look? Well, all I know is you have a mindset around Christmas. You can make it joyous. You can make it fun. You can laugh. You can be with a small group of people if they're in your family. So why not make that very unique, very special and a memory that lasts a lifetime for your kids rather than railing that you can't have 15 people around for dinner. You have to adapt and you have to look for the good in each situation. And then you'll find more peace within yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So again, it's it's bringing that resilience word, but also the, the bending and the flexibility. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, have you got a positive story of some sort of recently where you've, you've been helping a family and that, that you could share? Obviously, I realise that there's there's got to be some sort of GDPR kind of thing, but I just wondered if there's anything yeah. you can share with us. Well, there's loads of that, really. I'm working with a lovely family at the moment. They've got some complicated circumstances. They've got three children. They've just had a baby together. There's a a child that's seven from the first relationship with the mum. And the dad has issues around drugs and uh, alcohol and things like that. You know, the father that she doesn't see all the time. Then they've got stability with uh, two children together. And the way they incorporate, we've been working one-to-one on all sorts of things, bedtimes, fussy eating, spending time with the kids, playing with them, why that's important, not just giving them the TV to watch or the the iPhone to play with. And then one one day he said, can we bring on um, this little girl's dad? Uh, Because he wants to get it right. We want to work together. And I thought, that is fantastic attitude to these difficult circumstances. And he said, and these people are only 26. They're very young. And I just wanted to commend them. They lifted my spirit about when you collaborate, when you come together, when you have the children at the centre of whatever's going on. Because I work a lot with people going through divorce. And, you know, it's always about trying to put the children at the centre of every decision that you make so that you then make a better decision. And I remember working with someone ages ago where they were discussing it and they were trying their very best. And of course, you, you know, you're going through a divorce. So you're not going, you know, the reason you're going through that is because you don't get on. Uh, but for the sake of the kids, we were discussing something. And I remember putting the photograph of the little girl at the centre of the table. And I said, well, so what do you think this dad, you know, what do you think uh, Ruby would make of that? And he went, oh, my God, that's not a good idea so suddenly everything was focused on the children so when people put their kids at the center of their big decision making that uplifts me and it's never easy but it's very important so just recently that young family have lifted my spirits they've made massive changes in such a short time we've worked together for only about a month every week once you know for an hour that's how I tend to work one-to-one and it's been really uplifting because they sort of adapt and they do the things we suggest they suggest their own stuff and it's been a really joyous and a really positive experience working with them i love it i think sometimes you know the kids kids are a little bit more astute and and, um knowing than than parents give them credit for do you find that 
Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, as you know, I was a former deputy head and class teacher for nearly 25 years. Um, I never, with my own children either, never sort of talked down to them, never patronised them, but on the other hand, protected them because age and stage appropriate what they were. And I'm not their friend. I'm their mum. Even now, they can tell all their friends their business sometimes. I don't need to know that just as they don't need to know certain things about me. But yes, young children unconsciously pick up atmospheres. You know, yourself, if you go into a a house and there's been a row between the couple or something, they may all be kind of smiley because you've walked in, but there's an an energy in the room that you think, oh God, it's uncomfortable. Something's happened in here just recently. So yes, kids pick up that. And often when I'm working with families, another family jumps into my head just recently as well. Because when we started to talk about whatever it was, bedtimes, I think it was, um, you could see a real tension between both sets of parents around. He wanted one way of doing it and she wanted to do it another. And because he was playing the bad cop, she was playing the overly good cop. And you can see the tension. So the children will be picking up on that. They may not understand all the words if they're only three or four or whatever they are, but certainly if they're 15, they're going to sense stuff. And when people sometimes say to me, oh, we stay together for the good of the children. Well, sometimes it isn't actually for the good of the children because they're putting up with so much tension, so many sort of undersaid things and words hanging in the air that actually it's not good for them. And we must remember we are a role model in everything that we do, everything that we say and how we act. And we are a role model for relationships and for love, just as we are a role model for grief. If you lose a grandparent or somebody close to you, how you handle that, your children are looking at it, learning from it and listening to it. Yeah. You kind of lose sight a little bit of that, don't you, when you get caught up with life. And, um, you know, it can, it is difficult for, some, you know, for parents sometimes, isn't it? And I think what you're doing is incredible, actually, the work that you do. Um, it sounds amazing. And, and the, with the with the children uh, being very tuned into the energy of, of the family and, and so on and so forth, are you trying to put them onto a different path? I, I work with them. Um, when I first wrote my first book, Raising Happy Children for Dummies, one in the famous Black and Yellow series, you mentioned it. It's not. There's lots of parenting books in the Dummy series. Um, my one is about raising happy kids. When I wrote that, I, w- I you know, trained as, um, by Paul McKenna and Dr. Richard Bandler and all the rest of it and life coaching and completely went into a different career. And I remember thinking, oh, everyone needs to have this and everyone, you know, needs to know about all of these things. I don't try and change people. When I wrote the first book, I felt that I was, I felt uncomfortable asking the question because I'm a coach. I ask good questions to help you find your own answers. And that was my style. And I knew it was different. And that's why I liked it so much. So I became really trained in asking great questions. And then when they asked me to write the first book, they wanted that hat to come off and for me to tell people how to do certain things. So there was this fine line when I first started about 15 years ago about, well, I'm more comfortable asking you how you'd like it. But of course, I've got a wealth of experience as a teacher and then as all the training I've done over the years on, you know, constantly learning new techniques and strategies and making up new ideas and strategies as well. So that I I have both. I, now, when I work with people then, so I will ask good questions. And then if they're getting stuck and we we really have, I said, well, how about doing that? I find, you know, these seven things work very well with toddlers or teenagers or kids who are being bullied or, you know, kids who have friendship issues or something. So, yeah, there's a fine line. And uh, it was interesting, fairly recently, I was working with somebody and she didn't understand the difference actually at the end between coaching, therapy and counselling and a mentor. 
And I thought, well, I must remind people of that again. Because I found all those questions you asked me. I didn't like it. I wanted you to tell me what to do. And I thought, well, that's not what it's about. This is about discovering who you are, how you can empower yourself. I can lead you to water, but I can't make you drink it. I can suggest you start, uh, I don't know, whatever you said you were going to start. But if each week I keep saying that, did you make a start this week? What, What small step can you take just to make a start? And every week after three or four weeks, you haven't made that start. Whose fault is that, really? It's not sort of mine. I'm, I'm encouraging you to make a change. And I'm there to champion you and believe in you. So it's an interesting thing. It's, it's about no finger pointing, no judgment. It's all about support, help, a helping hand. How can I improve what you're going through at the moment? You might be overwhelmed. You might be tired. You might be exhausted. You've got now this whole rigmarole again, hopefully not of homeschooling because uh, the schools are open. But we just don't know how it's all going to play out again. So you have to sort of Make sure that people are comfortable and they feel heard, they feel listened to, but mainly they feel empowered by working with me. Yeah, no, that's, I mean that's that's amazing, and I think yeah, empowerment is is a big thing, isn't it? It's a it's a very important um, skill really that you've got to be able to enable those people to feel empowered, and 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 I think part of when I first met you, we did a coaching session, and it was well, you did EFT with me, emotional freedom technique. Have you ever used that with children? Oh, yes. I've got Tappy Bear sitting over there um, because he's got this pa- the point, not the PowerPoints. He's got the <laughs> he's got the points where you can tap on. Um, emotional freedom technique, for those that don't know about it, is, a, is an amazing technique. When we've had a trauma, we've had an anxiety or we've had an upset or we've made a mistake. It doesn't have to be big and dramatic. We lock it into our bodies and our bodies hold it. So by tapping certain parts of your body, it's extraordinary. Once I learned that from Paul McKenna, I thought, gosh, this is a remarkable thing. This is this is this is in my toolkit. And I almost felt I'm done. I'm done. I don't need to study anymore. Well, I continued on to study. Of course, every year I do a new course for my development. But I knew that this was an amazing thing. And children are very open to it. And I used to go into schools a lot uh, doing my confident classes for kids. I used to use tapping quite a lot and I used to bring Tappy Bear with me because they could tap the bear. You say positive affirmations. It's an extraordinary thing. It just releases. You don't forget the memory. That would be crazy. I remember when I first learned it, my mum and I had some ups and downs. And when she was older, um, she was in hospital and she had a chest, you know, she had a, a complaint, she had emphysema. So I would go into Mayday Hospital and I'd bring prawn sandwiches because I knew she liked them and she wasn't keen on the food. But if I bought prawn sandwiches, she would want bacon and if I bought bacon the next day she'd say well where's the prawn sandwiches now I don't know why but that when I was learning EFT the emotional freedom techniques uh, I, I had a happy childhood I didn't have many traumas and things thank god but I remember it said think of something that upset you so I remembered that story and I cried and then I tapped this thing and then I felt a huge sense of relief and it was extraordinary it was really memorable that the relief I felt and I think that's when I thought oh that's what that technique can do for other people you don't forget the memory that would be crazy but you're not so emotionally charged around it so when I can tell that story now I find it amusing but it's it was memorable for me because it was such a major change in how I felt around what it was because it almost summed up sometimes 
whatever I did when you know when I was growing up now and again was never good enough for us sometimes. So that was what it brought up, and that's why I use it in different scenarios if it feels appropriate. I've got so many different skill sets that I've learned over the years just because I'm so old, but I pu- pull out whatever a person needs. Never push anything on anybody, but if I feel that could be helpful to them, maybe I'll suggest that, and that's where I take it from kids to parents and beyond. It's all part of your toolbox. That's it. Yeah, exactly that. Well, why do you think EFT is not as well known as neuro-linguistic programming then? NLP is the study of excellence and excellent communication in particular. And I went off and spent a lot of money on my training uh, over the years with Dr. Richard Bandler, Paul McKenna, Michael Neal, uh, all sorts of people, because I found it utterly fascinating. And as I was learning it, I thought, oh, my goodness, I don't know many people putting this into parenting. And if you put these techniques or these ideas or this mindset, um, and it's not manipulation. I know that NLP, um, lots of people use it in sales, or they certainly used to. And then I went off and trained with uh, Tony Robbins in Florida and joined his um, university over there and did all sorts of courses and training around all sorts of ways of, you know, uh, relationships. And I put all the stuff I was learning into my passion, which is raising happy, confident children and giving them happy childhoods, free from finger pointing and all the rest of it, because it's hard enough as it is. So that's what I I sort of tried to do is to use all the techniques that I've learned. And because I'm a natural teacher, I take something perhaps complicated and I'm able to teach it, if you like, to the next person. And I didn't really realise that was a skill until I started writing and doing stuff like that, that I can make it something that's complicated sound quite straightforward. So NLP and EFT, I know they're completely different, but one's obviously been promoted heavily um, within Obviously, yeah. the business world, I would imagine, and, and it's sort of taken off, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I suppose what you say by EFT is called tapping. And lots of people probably, if they follow Paul McKenna, have seen him tapping and doing something on from that again called havening, which I've watched him do. So, you know, techniques that people invent and create that they find helpful and therapies that people use, they get better and better. But they have to be robust and they have to be based in science or else I wouldn't touch them with the barge bowl. So you've got to be careful. Um, but I, I like things that are simple quick and easy and not everything is simple quick and easy but you can make some things quite remarkable and when you do use tapping you often find I had a lady who'd gone to the dent uh, she had a real phobia of the dentist because it's really good with phobias and she had a really severe phobia and I tapped her around the fear and what happened because it's always a memory it's always you go straight back to early childhood memories that's another thing I learned with Adlerian psychology you go back to that memory and we tapped it and in the past she her husband used to have to come home from work she would hang on to one of the beams around the kitchen so she didn't want to go to the dentist but she had to because she had an abscess and um, then you know when we tapped her it sort of disappeared and she couldn't believe that it had gone and gone so quickly because when I met her about three months later out and about I said oh how's it going how do you feel what do you mean I've got that thing about the dentist so she'd kind of like over overlooked it forgotten it and all the rest of her husband looked at me and winked so yes it can be quite quick, simple and easy. And sometimes the deeper the kind of anxiety about something, the quicker the relief. And for me, why carry a burden over something that may have happened? You know, I have worked with very deep and meaningful. I've worked actually at times when I was in South Africa uh, with someone who'd been abused as a child at five. Now, I'm not saying that's going to get rid of that there and then, but it certainly helped unpack some of the emotional charge around some of the instances but most of my work to be quite honest is how do I get my child into bed how do I make them 
eat? How do I get them to do as they're told? And how do I stop or communicate with my grunting teenager? You know, those usual kind of parenting problems that people have. Um, but I'm also, as I say, then trained. I can go and do other things too. But most of it is where I find it very interesting is making family life more harmonious and easy. Absolutely. No, you're making a massive impact with, uh, you know, lots and lots of people. And I, I love it. On LinkedIn, I noticed a post that you put in and, and you said that you have doubts, fears and disappointments. And sometimes you need doses of inspiration inspirations to inspiration mm-hmm. to bring you back um, and redirect mm. you to what's really important and you asked for an uplifting and inspirational quotes from you know the people that follow and I, I replied live in the moment um, and I just wondered what phrases inspire you or that you live by oh that's interesting isn't it yeah because that was quite a personal one I, I, I guard against sometimes being too personal because I like to keep my private life private But on the other hand, I want to appear real and I want to be authentic and a combination. So I suppose being positively present helps me and deliberately so. Now, I have my good days and bad days and I happen to be blessed. I'm a half glass full person naturally. I'm very enthusiastic, ebullient and all the rest of it. But um, yes, I look out. That's why I probably post up actually uh, a lot on my Facebook group page sometimes, my group. Uh, just uplifting quotes that seem to inspire me. And I look out for them. I look for them because they will help me cope with whatever it is. And when I'm thinking about the day ahead, certainly, you know, now we're in different times. And again, the word I chose different rather than difficult, because if you say it's difficult, you're going to think it's difficult. If you say it's different, oh, yeah, it's different. So yeah, I look for those sorts of posts and I look for those uplifting kind of things that help me through the day. And I often think now, well, what's today about? So for example, this morning is about talking to you. And then I want to walk my dogs for about an hour in the sunshine because the sun has come out. That's going to be good for my mental health, my well-being, being out in natural light air. uh, And natural light is very important as well. And then I just go, well, what's the next? Oh, yeah, my podcast comes out on Tuesdays. So I just look for the simple. And then I have things to look forward to. I think that's important. Like tonight, then I'm meeting up with my family. We're going for dinner to celebrate Will's birthday. And then next Saturday, we're going to do Strictly Come Dancing with a Takeaway. And that's that simple. But I, I think it helps. So look for positive quotes. They will uplift you. And remember, you always have a choice in how you choose to react to the hands that life has dealt you yeah do you do you have like a morning routine then is that something that sort of sets you up for the day is it sort of set that you it's something that you do I've noticed that I yeah it's funny how habits change because normally I'm up and dressed and out and all the rest of it so I've noticed that I don't need to rush in the morning so I get a cup of tea brought up to me aren't I lucky and then I I sort of I'm on my phone and I do a bit of social media first thing in the morning I think oh what what could I share today that would be helpful people that follow me or like what I talk about so I do that what what's coming out so today it was about my podcast coming out it's all about black lives matter and black history month and all that sort of stuff so I posted that all up and that made me feel as if I'd contributed I have to contribute that's what I oh that's a good question because it made me think I have to contribute each day that then makes me feel fulfilled and that my life has meaning that's really interesting yes that's why I do that then first thing in the morning and then I do uh, I meditate and I do pilates now I've introduced I mean I used to do pilates every week up at the local church hall but also I've downloaded only 20 minutes because I can't do an hour every day it drives me mad so I do first thing in the morning I do my pilates so I've got my little routines because I like I like structure 
but also like I like variety as well. So too much Groundhog Day and I know myself, I go off the wall. That's why I have to have little things that create a bit of a, a bit of variety for me or I will go off the wall. Uh, I, well, I think routine is, is, is a good thing, actually. And, uh, and I know that's probably something that you teach your, your parents to, to do, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, with children. Absolutely. Children need, like and love routine and structure. And I was talking to one of my clients yesterday. They are. They said themselves, oh, we're chaotic. I said, well, you need firm, fair and consistent boundaries. Oh, yeah. OK. All right. Right. So we've been working on that. But children thrive on that. They know what's coming next and they like it. They know that after the bath, they have a story, they go to bed. You know, those sorts of simple. They know that we eat and then we do this. Or we know we get dressed and go to school. The other day I noticed that I was interviewing my friend, uh, Dr. Gerg Rouse, uh, about primary to secondary stuff and his thoughts about transition from primary to secondary. And I thought, I'm going to give this a bit of a lift. So I put on a jacket and I remember thinking, oh my God, I've doled up. I've put on a jacket. I feel like I'm going to work and I've got my green boots on. How amazing is that? Because you can get into this habit of sort of wearing the dog walking trousers and on the top it looks all right. Uh, and I thought, no, I must put more of that in where you doll up, put your earrings on again and get out and about with something slightly smarter. <laughs> so 2021 is coming up. What sort of goals have you set yourself for, for the next next year or so? Now, that is interesting because I'm highly goal centred. Right. And I used to have opposite my bed a massive vision board, not even a dream board. It was a vision board. And I used to do it every year and I used to really enjoy it, stick on some music, you know, cut out posters, cut out pictures, get stuff off the internet. It was massive and it was all about the areas of where I wanted to make a difference and all of that. And I'd look at it every morning and I suppose I'd look at it every night. And then I was out with a friend once and I said, I feel such a failure all the time. She said, well, that's ludicrous. Why do you feel a failure? Because I said, over here, it says I want to sell, I don't know, 500 of my can-do kid journals every week. And I'm not doing that. I'm selling, you know, whatever I'm selling. I don't even know sometimes. She said, well, that's ludicrous, isn't it? Because that's just making you feel bad. Take that, take that bloody thing off the wall. So I took it off and put it in the utility room. And then I left it for a while. I felt a lot better because I wasn't then charging myself up with these enormous goals. And you can't always control everything that you do, I realised. So I had to make peace with that as a high achiever. People say I'm a high achiever. I don't know. So last year, then I did a PowerPoint uh, around about the January time uh, with music. And they were more forgiving, some of the goals, and more long term and a bit more relaxed and all that. And I, I look at them from time to time and I like them. The music comes on and it kind of inspires me. So I suppose I haven't quite got there yet because we're only in November and I don't know. Some I've really changed from all those high goals and that pushing myself so hard. And, and I have to let go of the fact that some people that just, you know, seem to endorse shampoo on Instagram get 495,000 followers and I try and help families and change the world and I get three likes or something. I've got to learn to make peace with that. And when I was working with Disney, um, when we were really meeting up doing that, 
you know, Facebook Lives and we were doing podcasts and that with Helen Skelton. They had a, a load of Instagram influencers, they call them. And often I sort of sat there opposite someone who really is just selling or, or promoting a shampoo or, a you know, I don't know, a, a pair of shoes or something. And they have millions and millions of followers. And, and I, I find that really strange. It's a funny world with that. So I had to make peace with that. And I'm not joking. I had to make peace that I am really genuinely trying to make a huge difference in the world. And I get a few people that like it and nobody comments half the time. Uh, I've, let, I've had to let that go. So, yeah, goal setting coming up to January. I'm not sure how I'm going to do that. Maybe I put a little poster out that I made the other day that, you know, health is the new success and wealth or something. Family relationships is it's succeeding. And it's a beautiful picture with a lovely girl. And I think that sums it up for me. And I might pin that at the top of my Twitter again tomorrow, um, because I think that is where we're going. And I do hope for the new year coming up for everybody, and I'm not usually political, but I do hope that we try and come together more than we are divisive. And I mean that around the world. Um, this pandemic, if it's taught anybody anything, yes, it's family time and slow down and be tolerant. And I worry that perhaps we've gone really far away from the real meaning of all of that humanity in us all. Well, I think lockdown um, actually surprised me quite a bit because there's it, it drew out quite a massive amount of community spirit. And um, that really, really yes. surprised, not surprised me, but I was so happy for that because, you know, particularly in East Grinstead, there were, there, there were a lot of people volunteered to help uh, the vulnerable community, you know, with shopping and, mm. and uh, doing errands and everything. And it was just fantastic. Even yeah. our road, yes. our, our WhatsApp group, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we helped all of our vulnerable um, residents in the street and stuff. And it was just lovely. I really, I really enjoyed that. And I took from yeah. from lockdown, the, the first lockdown, I took from a very positive feeling from that, actually. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, my father-in-law is 92 and he's a full-time carer for his wife, who's 86. And she's got, you know, full-blown uh, Alzheimer's. Um, and we had to shield and watch them and be careful. They live about 80 miles away from us, which wasn't usually a problem, but it became one. And Michaela, the lovely neighbour from behind, you know, just the house that backs onto Arthur, offered to do his shopping. And she did it for quite a few months until we could then relax into Tesco's and ordering online and all the rest of it. So I think it brought out the best in us and it also brought out some of the worst in us as well. But what I'm hoping, and I wrote a lot about this on my blog as well, I, and on LinkedIn, I tend to put up more thought-provoking posts, I suppose, a bit bigger picture. And I was thinking about the reset button. How will education, if, we, if we're wise, how can we change maybe early years? How can we value different things and make some changes that will be beneficial long-term to us? Because it would be foolish if we didn't use this opportunity to look at what actually is important in our world and the climate and looking after the environment and making sure children and families' mental health is, is supported properly. So all sorts of things. And there's been some wonderful things that have come from it. And, um, you know, um, is it Major Tom? I keep thinking that's David Bowie otherwise, who was walking and he raised a lot of money for the NHS and Michael Ball sang with him and all sorts of stuff. But there were some very, really nice things. So let's hope that we keep the good stuff like that. The sense of belonging, the sense of connecting and the sense of community 
I really, really hope we continue with that, no matter what happens afterwards. Yeah, I do too. I do too. It, it, almost to the point where, I mean, I, I have to be honest, I don't really watch a lot of news. I find it all a bit too negative. No, you have to turn it off, don't you? You yeah. just have to turn it off. And, and I, the, part of my, I was thinking about it last night. I was thinking, you know, something to, else to talk to you about, which probably is going <laughs> to could be a, a podcast on its own, really, is encouraging parents not, sorry, children are encouraged to watch news and keep up to date with current affairs. But actually, I don't think that's a very good thing. I, I, I don't think, think it's... that they should do that. I think that they should concentrate on other things if they're looking for you know, news. And and one example was there was that little boy, he's five years old, Tony, who was abused as a, as a baby and he got adopted and, and he had to have his legs amputated. It was on the... Um, oh, the yes, I saw that. What an incredible boy. And he raised, he raised over a million pounds, <gasps> you know, walking 13 kilometres in, yes. in the whole of June, which if you've got, if you've got prosthetic legs and you're only five, I mean, it was it was unbelievably humbling, and I think you know that's the sort of news that I love, and it kind of balances everything else out a little bit, doesn't it? It does, and I think you're right. Um, you know, I don't look at the news all the time. I, I keep abreast of it, obviously, you need to to a point. But if you have it on a loop, the only danger is there's an awful lot of fake news out there, and certainly for teenagers, you've got to be careful where they're getting their information. Because the other thing is, if you're on Facebook, for example, not that the kids are on that anymore; it's all Instagram. But if you like something, you'll get more of that kind of thing. So if you are, you know controversial about some aspect you'll just get more of the same and kids and adults I find it sometimes you've got to think is that fake is that true so again it's about learning to discern but I think it's about balance isn't it and talking and listening to your children and explaining certain things you don't want them to get the wrong end of the stick and that can often happen at school when they're sort of scaremongering or they're out on the playground or they're talking about something and it kind of builds up so you have to just sort of keep a, a, an eye on, on all of that. And yes, and I look then for the positive stories. I mean, did you see that one about the, the man who has dementia and his son gave him three notes or four, no, four notes, I think, and he started to play. And that side of the brain hadn't been affected. And now the BBC Orchestra have, have made that wonderful. I mean, it's so moving, the music, when you listen to it. And then you know the story behind it. So they're the sorts of things that lift the spirit, don't they, really? Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think hearing, you know, talking to you, and it's been it's been fantastic. I, I, I really, I've really got to understand a little bit about what, what's driving you. And, and one of the, the sort of last questions that I was going to ask you is really about your purpose and, you know, what, what your purpose is in life. And sometimes that's quite difficult to articulate, but I don't think you, you, you have a problem with that, would you? No, I have an obsession with it and I have no idea why. Uh, I taught absolutely hundreds of children over a sort of nearly a 25 year period. Um, and then I discovered, I thought, I, and my father died. And very quickly, my mother died within the same year, all around my birthday. And I was, I just adored my dad and I miss my mum. So I thought, walking the dogs one day, what did they give me? And they had given me the gift of self-esteem, hopefully not an arrogance, but a belief if I worked hard, tried hard, did all sorts of things, had a go, be a can-do kid, I could have a great life, you know, full of ups and downs and ins and outs and roundabouts and all sorts of obstacles. But I could have a, an interesting life. And that's what I decided I wanted to do. And so I had this thing then to move across to, oh, what did my parents give me? Oh, they gave me happy childhood as well. Right. I would like to try and do that for other children. And it's not just children who are in trauma or chaos. 
you know, by fine-tuning your parenting, and this is not finger-pointing or judging, but, you know, you don't realise half the time. We don't do it consciously. We go on marketing to management courses and we never go on a parenting course. And yet it's one of the most important jobs you'll ever do in your entire life. So this is not about saying, oh, you're a rubbish parent. You need to go on a course. This is, do you want to be the best you can be? Listen, have you tried that technique? Gosh, that really works. And doesn't that build up my child's confidence? Yes. So that was it. And I had this idea that I don't know why I want to leave a legacy. So through my writing, through my broadcasting, through my podcasts, through talking to people, to listening, to coaching people, to my parenting club, which is full of webinars and quick win videos, about 600 quick win videos. So there, there, there just came this passion to make a difference in the world and leave a legacy. Hopefully while I'm still here, not when I've gone. Um, and I get frustrated if I, even though I say I have changed, I have mellowed, but I get frustrated that I don't seem to be able to make the bigger difference that I really wanted to. I wanted to have my own parenting show on telly with my techniques and strategies that was positive because I felt the naughty step had had its day and I have the easy peasy lemon squeezy technique that I made up but you have to make peace with where you are and I do love that starfish story where there's a person walking along the beach and there's been a storm and all these starfish are on the beach and there's just one person throwing back the starfish and the guy walking along says well that's a waste of time isn't it and the person says made a difference to that one made a difference to that one. So I'm learning to make peace with, I'll make a difference to that family or that mum or that dad or that child. And hopefully then over time, I have left a legacy of happier families. (laughs) So I I tell you, I am in such awe of that. I think also you're quite critical of yourself. And but I I just want you to know, I think you do an an absolutely extraordinary uh, job and helping all those families is a a great thing to do. So I would like to, uh, you know, just end the podcast on on that very positive note, I think, really. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, I'm delighted to be with you. Lovely to chat. Lovely to have a, a good long time to talk about something properly not just a sound bite so thank you for all that you do around traveling around being positive and optimistic i think it's a wonderful thing so thank you very much for having me oh, my pleasure sue and and i will put details of all of your books and where people can get hold of them on the show notes Oh. As well. oh, absolutely. Let's keep in touch because I love this idea of what you're doing and promoting. And let me know and tag me in on Twitter in particular when you launch another one. Stay safe and keep on keeping on. Lovely to see you again. Bye. My thanks to Sue Atkins for coming on the Travelling Optimist podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave five star reviews on Apple, Spotify, Google and Amazon. You can contact Sue and get more details at her website, which is sueatkinsparentingcoach.com. And I'll put all those some details in the show notes as well. Stay well, everybody, and we'll be back soon.